Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel. If you're new here at Eaglemont, I'm the discipleship pastor here. Whether you're in person, online, glad that you're with us. Uh, this Sunday marks the end of our series that we've been doing through the summer as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. And I'm going to ask you, we're going to do a little bit of church calisthenics because I know you're seated and you've just gotten comfortable, but I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me because we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer again. This will be our last time doing this together as a congregation. So if you'll join me, we're going to be reading out of the New King James Version. Pastor Marlowe chose that version because it's just close enough that most of us have memorized it, but just off enough that every time we say it, partially incorrect. So here we go. We're going to do it together. Are you ready, church? Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, may your word be rich in us and our heart's desire as we've been going through the summer. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to know how to talk with you, how to hear you, how to experience you, how to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, this morning, we're going to be focusing on the last part of this prayer that Jesus gave to teach us how to pray. Again, if you've missed the previous weeks, the purpose of this prayer is not simply to have something that we recite over and over again, even though some of us have learned that in our past, and maybe you've had a church tradition where this is something that you regularly memorized and spoke week after week. It's actually not the point of the Lord's Prayer. It's supposed to be a model to teach us how to approach God in prayer. And so this week, we're going to focus on this last part of the Lord's Prayer that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that line is in the New King James Version. It's a similar line if you read, if you have a King James Version Bible, which, you know, is the one that sounds a little more Shakespearean. But if you have a Bible in front of you this morning, that's maybe a different translation, you may be asking this question. Why do I not see this in my Bible today? Well, depending on the translation of your Bible, this last parts of the Lord's Prayer may not be in your Bible. Bible translations that used older texts to translate to English do not contain this part of the prayer, whereas some of the, the versions that use the newer part of our newer text do. Scholars tell us that this benediction, this last line of the prayer, uh, it, it was probably added when churches began to pray the Lord's Prayer together in public worship as a closing benediction. Hence, some texts that were scribed later on began to include this in the actual Bible and the prayer that Jesus gave. So to be clear, the phrase was not actually the words of Jesus, as was the previous parts of the prayer. That's already making you really interested, isn't it? Well, then why are we studying it? Because it's there, and just because this benediction is not part of the original text does not mean that referring to it is a sin or that it, has, it teaches anything against the words of Jesus. The sentiments shared in this benediction are consistent with the rest of the Lord's Prayer. More poignantly, Pastor Marlowe told me to preach on this today, so that's why we're talking about it. 
But there is some benefit with it, and I'd like us to walk through. Among scholars, it is generally agreed that this closing benediction is based on the words of David, found in 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. This is when he commissioned his son Solomon to build the temple, which is, of course, a place where God would meet with his people in the Old Testament. This prayerful benediction at the end of the Lord's Prayer helps us to see the work of God in our prayers through the correct lens. Now that statement right there might go, what do you mean, the correct lens? What does that mean? I'm going to refer you back to a number of years ago, because as Pastor Jaden pointed out last week, most of my references just point out more and more how old I am. So I want to point you to a movie that came out in the 2000s called National Treasure. Did anybody ever watch that movie? It is just a more modern, rip-off version of the great Indiana Jones movies from the 80s. But it's also based kind of, this guy is a treasure hunter, and he's going through all this American history to find this big treasure. Part of, part of the movie is, there's a map, this ancient map he has to read, and he's, he, uh, he has to find a specific set of glasses that were made by Benjamin Franklin. No, this movie is not based on a true story. But... In in the movie, it's got these different colored lenses, and depending on the type of lens, you would see a different message on this map of where to find a clue to where to find the treasure. See, a lens is what we see things through. For those of you who have glasses, you probably have a specific prescription that allows you to see things clearly. But if you just wore a random pair of glasses that was a different prescription, It could make your vision even worse. You can't see what's going on. Many of us can struggle in prayer because we approach it in the wrong lens. Because of that, we feel like prayer is empty. We enter and leave feeling frustrated, leaving unchanged. In our prayers, the question can be asked, what is God's will for my life? Perhaps you've had that yearning, that longing that's motivated your prayer. This question is often the lens through which we attempt to honestly and earnestly pray and encounter God. What is God's will for my life? This question is skewed though, as it's a question that is constrained and distorted through the lens of self. When we approach through this lens, self will always be the focus, and that can distort the truth. It's kind of the equivalent of if you were to study the nature of the universe and all the cosmos of what's been created, but you did so believing that everything revolved around the earth. In fact, there were scientists for years, there's many who believed that the universe revolved around the earth, and if you believed that, and if that was the presence upon uh, which you studied the universe, a lot of it wouldn't make sense to you, and you wouldn't actually realize the truth for what it is. The universe does not revolve around the earth. And the universe does not revolve around you. Our prayers should also then not revolve around ourselves. The the world and God's kingdom does not revolve around you or me, but around God. And the efficacy of your prayer life is not measured by you attaining what you ask for or what you deem as needed for your life. A better question than, God, what is your will for my life? is, God, what is your will? To truly see who God is and what he is doing, we need to see through the lens of God and his kingdom, not the lens of self. This closing benediction helps us to focus on that.
So let's just walk through it together this morning. It starts with this statement. For yours, God, is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a constant theme throughout the teachings of Jesus. In the Gospels of the New Testament, the word kingdom is used 126 times by Jesus. What is the kingdom of God? Well, we, we see this really clear as we see creation. God creates all that is at the beginning of Genesis. God, the universe, and all that is, and God called his creation good. But then, chapter 3 of Genesis, we see a sudden shift as a serpent come in, comes in and tempts Adam and Eve, and in that we see sin enter the world and mankind. And the rest of the Old Testament, that large two-thirds portion of the front of your Bible, is an unraveling of the devastating consequences of sin. It's a, it's a cyclical story of God's pursuit of restoring mankind, first through Israel, then specifically through the line and kingdom line of David. And we see this cycle through the rest of the Old Testament. In despair, Israel, God's people, got, they would seek God. Then he would save his people, liberating him. Then over time, they would begin again to serve other gods and sin against him. God would then leave them open to defeat and despair. And then after, in desperation, they would again cry out to God and ask for them to help them again. Now, as Jesus enters human history, Jesus, the one who leads this prayer, the Hebrew people have been in exile for over 400 years. They have mourned the loss of their kingdom. They had put so much into the weight of God gave them a promised land and a kingdom. In despair, Israel would seek God. They mourned the loss here, sorry, of the kingdom and the promised land. And at the heart of the promised land was Jerusalem. Here was the center of their earthly kingdom, the place where they built a temple for God to live. And they awaited a Messiah, one that would come to again restore his people and rule the world. One God who would use, uh, who, uh, one God would use to usher in his kingdom. They were waiting for a kingdom to be reestablished. But this Messiah, Jesus, would not look like what they thought. He was not rich and powerful with great fanfare, but he came born as a baby, humbly. Not born in a place of royalty like a palace, but a barn. So too, his kingdom was not what people expected. So very quickly, four distinct notes about the kingdom of God as Jesus taught and Jesus led us to pursue. First is this, the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom on earth. It is an eternal spiritual kingdom. Now, for those of you who've grown up in church, maybe this seems like a no-brainer, but I can tell you for the people of Jesus' time, this was quite shattering to their belief as they were awaiting someone to come and build a, a physical kingdom. Many in Jesus' day were looking for him to be a ruler that would overthrow oppressive governments, but this is not what his kingdom was about. Jesus' kingdom is not of this earth. So in our prayers, if we measure the answering and effectiveness of our prayers solely by what we see and experience on earth, that's a sign we're using the incorrect lens. So his kingdom is not physical, a physical kingdom on earth, but an eternal spiritual kingdom. The second thing about God's kingdom is his kingdom was focused on saving, not enslaving. John 3.16 is a very popular verse. If you've been around church, you've probably heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you have heard that verse? Okay. 
Now, maybe you've also heard the next verse that comes in, which also makes a very clear and important declaration. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's purpose for the world is to save a people for himself and renew the world for that people. God's kingly rule implies a saving and a redeeming activity on their behalf. This is why the coming of the kingdom in the New Testament is called the gospel or good news. God calls us to bless and pray for those who persecute us. Prayers that are kingdom-focused prayers help build a reservoir of love and compassion for the world around us, not simply a heart for judgment and disdain for those who we seem and feel are against us. We are to pray and have compassion for them while also being repulsed by sin. Thirdly, God's kingdom is an already but not yet kingdom. Luke 17, 20 to 24. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of God is now. You have been brought into the kingdom of God and received new life and salvation the very moment that you received Jesus and you submitted your life to him. But the kingdom of God is also not yet fully experienced. Satan and the destructiveness of sin is still at work. It is the reason for the chaos, death, and destruction we see in the world around us. It's the reality that the kingdom has not yet fully come. In this time of already but not fully yet, we will continue to live in a world that is not as it should be. We will see death, destruction, and pain. This is not what God intends for you for eternity. As followers of Jesus, we eagerly await for the kingdom of God to fully come in, and we pray with that in mind. With that, when we recognize that there is pain and there is discomfort and there is disappointment in our lives... We know that that is not the result of unanswered prayer. We know that that is not just simply God doesn't love us or God is punishing us. It's the reality of we live in a world that is not as it should be because God's kingdom is now but is not fully yet. Finally, fourthly, God's kingdom will be fully ushered in at the second coming of Jesus. In the passage that we just read from Luke 17, Jesus goes on to speak of times of struggle in the world and signs that will lead to his coming again. Please don't try and guess when that time is. That's not our job and you won't know. If you would like a great book, I have a book that was written that I read in Bible college, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Returning in 1988. What's amazing is that guy wrote a second book, 89 Reasons Why the Lord's Coming in 1989. There are still people that believed him enough to buy the second book. You will not know the day or time. The Bible's very clear on that, but that Jesus is coming. Revelation 21, 1 to 4 tells us a little bit of what that is like. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home 
is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. God's kingdom is a place of no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. The destructive effects of sin will be broken once and for all. Truly we'll be in paradise, united again with God as he always designed us to be. When we pray yours is the kingdom, it acknowledges that God is the one in control of a much larger picture and story than we will ever fully understand in this life. And we must yield to his will. We have to understand that there is a bigger picture than what we know and understand. I know a couple of years ago I shared that when I was in high school, I, I was in band in high school, and I played drums, which meant for a large portion I hit cymbals. There's nothing more boring than playing drums in a high school band. If any of you are percussionists, you know what this is like. And you play the Star Wars theme song, there's like 80 bars of counting. No one is waiting for the cymbal solo when they go to a band concert. But there is something about a beautiful orchestration that that horrible sound actually benefits. And there's a majestic part of the anthem where it lifts the entirety of the orchestra. But that percussionist can't get bored and start doing a little cymbal solo because I got nothing to do. They have to wait for the instruction from the one who is leading the orchestra. Now it's time. That's like in your life. There may be times where you feel like, God, there's nothing going on. I need to do something. I need to change something. But you need to recognize that there is the one who leads the orchestra, the one who is making this beautiful music of life. And he knows the entirety of the score. And he knows when your time is. And you may feel like you're not doing anything right now. You may feel like God's not doing anything. All I'm doing is counting bars and rests. Just wait. There's a bigger picture that he's in control of. A much bigger picture. Because it's not about our kingdom. There's something greater going on. It's not God, get on my agenda. I need you to see things my way. But God, get me on yours. Our days will experience challenges and struggle to the time of Christ's return. And we need to connect with God in prayer to see the bigger picture of what God what is happening and not get lost simply in the minutia of the day. God's kingdom, not ours. And God's kingdom stems from God's omnipotence, which is a fancy theological word to talk about how God is all-powerful. It's God's omnipotent control. It's God's mastery over all creation, which brings us to this next statement. For yours is the kingdom and the power. God's mighty power we see throughout history power that placed shepherds as kings, that overcame empires and rulers that split seas to dry land, the power that formed land and mountains, that a very word calmed raging seas, the power that created all of the universe in perfect harmony by a very word, the power that breathed breath into dust and created and formed mankind. We pray to the God of all power, and we need to be mindful of who we pray to. We need to be mindful of this when the doctors say that there is nothing they can do. When we aren't sure how we are going to keep food on the table and provide for our family. When the enemy tells us we will never escape that addictive behavior. 
when we desire to grow to be more like Jesus, but we feel like we can't. When I feel like I can't just do one more day of this job. God, I can't do one more day of this life. When we feel like all our life has is so little to offer, Jesus says, bring those loaves and fishes. We need to remember we serve an all-powerful, all-able God to whom nothing is impossible. See, a prayer of faith is not faith in myself. It's not a believing that I have enough faith to do this. It's not a believing that I'm close enough or good enough or have got enough of God's favor. A prayer of faith is a belief in a God that can do even more things than I can believe, that he can do even when I don't have the faith to believe that it will change. Romans 8.26 says this, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Have you ever been that way in your life where you feel so desperate and you're so broken and so lost and you want to pray, but you don't even know what to pray? You don't even know what words to start with? Has anybody else been there? But the Holy Spirit, again, Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit prays for us. The effectiveness of your prayers is not about your words, nor is it about how great your faith is. We can be so low that we don't even have the words, but the Holy Spirit can pray for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. We do not live by our power, but by his power. Because your power will weaken. Your belief will weaken. His power is infinitely greater than that. When my son, my son's seven years old now, but when my son was little, when he was around two, he loved when dad would go out and mow the lawn. Dads, anybody else have kids that just like were fascinated, had boys that loved the lawnmower? My son loved it, right? It looks cool, it cuts the grass, it makes noise. His blue bubbles, mine didn't, but you know, we're close. And he, lo- he loved the idea of doing the lawnmower. And I remember... My lawnmower, maybe it's like yours. It has a bar that I push, but then it has like a secondary bar that was below. And I remember he liked to walk along and push like he was pushing the lawnmower because he was a big guy, right? Look what I could do. Now, if he actually tried to push him himself, that thing wasn't moving. But dad would be behind and dad would actually make the force to make it move. Folks, that's like our prayers. God asks us to move, but the power actually isn't in you to make it happen. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you that makes it happen. Zechariah 4.6, it is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord God of heaven's army. Can I ask you this morning, what are you trying to carry? What are you trying to push in your life that really isn't yours to be pushing? That you truthfully don't have the ability to. We serve his kingdom. If you've been pushing and pushing on something and nothing's been moving, have you taken the time to ask God, is this my idea or is this yours? God, what is your will? Because if it's his will, he'll push the force behind it. He wants you just to be there. He wants you to continue. We rely on his power. With that, we must give all the credit, all the glory to him. This word glory has two interlocked layers of meaning, each of which entails the other. Layer one is the manifested praiseworthiness of the creator. 
And layer two is the praise that this draws from his creatures, his creation. It is the glory God has, shows, and gives. J.R. Packer says this of the statement and the glory. We are first telling God and thus reminding ourselves that he, our maker and redeemer, is and always will be glorious in all he does, especially in the acts of grace. And second, we are committing ourselves now and always to worship and adore him for it all. This doxology thus makes the Lord's prayer end in praise. The lens we pray through is so important. We have to take the me out of it. It's about him. Victory is not that I will look good to those around me and will get the stuff I want and will be clearly seen as right because it's not about my glory. God, it's about your glory. When we pray, we begin and end with worship. Speaking of his worthiness because he is deserving. We glorify him and our prayers only have hope because of him. Him the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Forever. One of the things I love about summer is I love garage sales because I love bargains. Anybody else a garage sale person? Yeah, Dana. Okay, Carol. Yeah, there's a couple. Anybody hate garage sales? Okay, thank you very much. You guys can leave. Um, I'm just joking. But I, I love garage sales. I get it. My wife, no, she hates it. It's draining me. I love that kind of stuff. Kijiji, garage sales, marketplace, I'm all about it. Here's the thing I've learned about garage sales. If you want a true marker of how things lose their luster, go to a garage sale. Maybe you'll find, uh, I think we've got a few pictures. Maybe you'll find something like this. A Walkman from the 90s. I remember this Walkman. I had this Walkman. It's beautiful. I was so pumped. My cassettes played like, oh, beautiful music through that Walkman. Now you can't give this away at a garage sale. Or how many of you remember floppy disks or hard disks? How many of you, don't, you, you didn't know you even had this and you just emptied a box that you hadn't opened for 15 years? You can find these at a garage sale. Or maybe there's that expensive jersey that Reagan uh, Henderson played $450 on so he could get that Number one pick, Nail Yakupov jersey that, yes, that was worthless two years later. Or maybe you're like my friend. I remember my friend when I went to college, she was 10 years older than me and talked about how she bought a new VCR back in the 80s for $650. You couldn't give this thing away at a garage sale anymore. Things that were once viewed as treasures eventually become junk. Folks, that's the majority of the stuff in our lives. The wealth, the treasure, the fame, all of it, when you're buried, at the end of this life will be useless and worthless. I remember when I was a youth pastor one time, I took in the evening, thankfully parents were very understanding, but I took all the kids and we went to a cemetery one night. And I had them go around with flash types and I had them actually do a search for things and I asked, one of the questions I asked is, find the richest person in the cemetery. None of them knew who it was. Find the person who had the most friends. No one knew who it was. You don't take it with you afterwards. The older we get, the more we become aware of our own mortality. And also, the more one desires to leave a legacy beyond their life. A natural pattern of human development as one enters later adult years and maturity is moving to passing legacy 
versus building our own personal empire. Many get caught in the rat race of life, trying to get the next step up the ladder, whether it's their career or get the bigger house. And when they get to the later years, after working and working, they realize it's pretty empty. It's one of the beautiful things about the church. Did you know that God made us specifically to be a part of a church that's not just one generation? It's because we're supposed to learn and glean from each other. Prayer is one area of your life that is not going to become useless with time. It is not a waste of time when it comes to beyond your life here on earth. It is the best way to gain victory over time and invest into eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart, which helps to explain why many in our world are dissatisfied. They crave permanence, but there is none. There can be no satisfaction or peace except life in Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God. C.S. Lewis once said, all that is eternal is not eternal is eternally out of date. 2 Corinthians 4.16, the Apostle Paul wrote, though outwardly we are wasting away, if you've received Jesus, you have not somehow had eternal life as in your body will not age, decay, and die, because it will. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. The Spirit is being renewed day by day. In your life right now, you have the ability to share in eternity. Something of significance well beyond your life. That's why the words kingdom, power, glory, forever, and amen are so important. They help us to take inventory. To check, are we investing in the things that actually matter? Finally, the last word of This prayer is a word that we say often when we pray together. Amen. Which means may it be in my life. Not just a wish. Oh, oh, may it be. May it just happen some way. May it be in my life. A committed confidence. God, may it be. I'm going to ask if we can pray together again. And spend a few minutes. We're going to spend about two or three minutes here. Just in in quietness, in prayer. I want to lead us through these words again to reflectively bring them to the Father. So if you want to just get comfortable, if you're holding a phone, if you're holding something that distracts you, can you just put that down for a second? Again, just a couple minutes. Now, as I've said in past weeks, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, not because that means that's the only way you can access God. You can pray to Him with your eyes open. I'm just going to suggest that because it's a way to try and focus. We're going to start together here as I just want to lead us in prayer. Just take a moment, just in the silence of your own heart, with your own words, just to express your worship to God. That again, He is our Father in heaven. That He is loving, caring, but He is high and mighty and worthy of our praise. So we pray, yours is the kingdom. I just want you to honestly ask this question, because prayer is conversation, it's two-way. And so ask this question of God. God, are there areas in my life that I put myself at the center of instead of you?
God, are there areas of my life that I've put myself at the center instead of you? Just ask them that question. Ask them to tell you. Just give a moment. Again, maybe there's a word, maybe there's a scenario, a picture that comes to your mind. And if there is, just ask for forgiveness. Say, God, can you help me to see that how you do? Yours is the power. God, you are all powerful. Again, just in your own heart and mind to speak with God and ask him this question. God, are there areas I have been trying to carry or to push that you haven't asked me to? Things I've been working so hard to make happen You've never told me that. It's, again, maybe there's a word or picture. Maybe God's speaking to you right away. Maybe just ask God, what would you like me to do? Lord, I pray you would speak. God, it's your glory. So we pray that you would help us to live our lives not for our own glory. And if we've been investing into things so that we look good, God, maybe we've even been doing this whole church thing, this whole religion thing because we want to be seen as good by our families, someone close to us. God, can you forgive us? Can you remind us that it's not about us being looking good? God, if maybe the enemies use that to make us feel discouraged because we go, oh, people will think we're garbage because we haven't had victory in that area of our lives. We've struggled. If people only knew, God, can you remind us it's not about us? It's about you. And help our lives to bring you glory. God, again, right now, if there are areas in our lives that we've been investing into really don't matter right now I pray God even our in each heart and mind that's just honestly seeking you now God can you show us the things that are eternal and that matter God help us to pray keep us from discouragement when we find that we look through our own lens of self and we feel discouraged help us to see the things that matter and invest into those for it's your kingdom, your power, your glory. Forever we pray. And may it be in me, may it be in each one of us we ask. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Again, as we've gone through, I hope that the Lord's Prayer can be something that you use as a model in your life as we seek God daily to pray, to engage with him. And I hope if there's one thing that you walk away with from this prayer, again, it's not about reciting and memorizing. It's about engaging and that God wants to meet with you every day. Um, 
If you're with us this morning, whether in person or online, and you've never actually had that personal relationship with Jesus, maybe this morning is the first time you've prayed, but you go, I want to be in that type of relationship with God. I want to be part of his kingdom. It really is as simple as in your own heart and mind confessing with our mouths, with our lips, that Jesus is Lord. Inviting him, asking him to forgive our sins and to lead our lives. Simple prayer like that. If that's you this morning and you want to make that decision, and the screen on front, and if you're online, you can see the screen. If you want to use your phone, we'll just keep that up for a little while. You can, that QR code will just take you to a little form and we'd love the opportunity to, to get together with you, to pray with you maybe over the phone and to help give you some resources as you start a life of following Jesus. We would love to celebrate that with you. Church, can we commit ourselves? For many of us, I know the new year is January, but the school calendar year just has so much of a, a real distinct feel of kind of the start of the year. Can we commit ourselves this year to pray? not superficially, but deeply and regularly, to be in communion with the Father just as Jesus was, to regularly talk with him and to listen to him. I promise you it changes you. It's the most powerful thing you can invest into.